Hey there, I'm Dana, a registered dietitian and registered dietitian exam tutor. And this is my podcast where we go over all of the questions that have been posted to my Facebook page, Registered Dietitian Exam Study Group with Dana over the past week. And we not only chat about the answers, but why are they the answers as well as answer any questions that students have posted on the page throughout the week. This is a weekly podcast, so be sure to tune in each week for new questions. And of course, I would love to see any of you guys at the live version of this on Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern time. First question we have is from a student who said, while studying for the exam, I noticed that there's some references that are saying fever is 100 and then some that are saying it's 98.6. Which one should I use? So this is an important topic to know because you want to remember that our calories are going to be impacted by the degrees of a fever. So what you're thinking with this is you want to start your baseline kind of for just all calorie fever questions at 98.6. That's kind of our standard temperature. The correct temperature for the body does depend on where you're taking the temperature from. A rectal temp is going to be like the best for internal temperature versus like an armpit versus a mouth. So it slightly varies depending on where you are taking it from. But for the exam, you want to use 98.6 as your reference. Then on these questions, you want to remember that for every degree over that 98.6, you have a 7% increase in calorie needs. So let's say we have a patient who has baseline calorie needs of 2,000, and they have a fever that is 3 degrees over 98.6, or our regular temperature. So... What you would do is you'd say, okay, well, for every degree over, it's a 7% increase, so a 21% increase. And there's two different ways you can increase the calories. You can do the way I like that I take the calorie needs 2,000 times 1.21, so we're increasing it by 121%, and that gives you 2,420. Or you could do 2,000 times 0.21, so times 21%. You get 420, add that back to your 2,000, and you still get the 20, um, 2420. So either way, it really is just what works best for you. But the calories for a fever is actually one that I find a lot of people forget about. Uh, this is covered if you're taking the equations um, class with the math boot camp. This is covered in the equations part two. And when you're studying the equations, do not overlook the domain two clinical equations. So things you're thinking about here, nitrogen balance, calories for fever is another one, two, tube feed, TPN, flushes. There's a lot of math that's outside of like domain three and four. So definitely check out the math bootcamp class. That's going to help make sure you're cinching everything up, but definitely a great one, a great one to practice. Next question we have is from a student who said, if the food record and 24-hour recall are both provided on a questionnaire, when would you pick one over the other? So what you're thinking about here is you're really thinking about what data you want to collect. So when you're thinking about the food frequency questionnaire, what you're getting is you're thinking about, okay, well, it's telling you how frequently 
you are eating something. You know, so like when I think about the population I work with in clinic is oncology. So a food frequency questionnaire is going to really help me understand how, you know, how much red meat are they eating? How many different vegetables are they getting? How is their intake of different antioxidants? That's going to be better assessed through a food frequency questionnaire. But something to remember is a food frequency questionnaire. It takes a while to do. I think I had to do one in maybe undergrad. I don't know. But I just remember it was like a, a Scantron at that point. I don't know if they do Scantrons anymore. But it was a Scantron. And it was like, I was like, oh, God, how frequently do I eat a yellow vegetable? I, you know, I don't know. So they tell you more about like food groups, the frequency of it. So especially when you're dealing like with disease states where you want to increase or decrease an aspect or you're looking at diet quality, that food frequency questionnaire is really great. And then you also have kind of two similar items, but the 24-hour recall and the food, the food record. So with a 24-hour recall, you want to remember that you are asking the patient questions. So like this is like the multiple passes, you know, what was the first thing you had to eat yesterday? Coffee? Okay. Did you put anything in the coffee? Okay. Well, what was the size of the coffee cup? Did you have anything with the coffee? So it's giving you specific calorie, protein, nutrient, kind of whatever you're getting, but it's just for one, for one day. So it's really helpful to kind of give you a general idea but, you know, it's just one day. I always like to give the example of like most of the time, you know, like coming off a weekend, if you do a 24-hour recall on me, like this past weekend was New Year's, right? So like yesterday for dinner, I had pizza. I, you know, how many times do I have pizza in the month? Once. But if you got my 24-hour recall yesterday, you'd be like, this girl eats pizza all the time. So it's not necessarily good for kind of assessing like where are they actually. Versus a food record, again, it's just giving you more information, but this is really taxing on the participant, right? You're like, okay, well, you know, like I think about the dinner I had right before coming on. If I was like, okay, oh shoot, I have to log it. How much spinach was in there? I don't know. You know, how much olive oil? I don't know. You know, am I going to remember to say the cookie I had on the way back to my office? I don't know. So it's more kind of taxing on your person. You know, in a long time, like they might not be truthful, right? My patients are like, I never have candy. And then when their daughters or sons or them or wives or whoever it is, they're always like, yes, you do. So there's a lot more onus on the client. But you, it allows you to get a few more days. So typically with the food record, you're doing like three to five. And so how they can kind of ask you about this for the exam is they'll ask you kind of like, what is the best for a different situation? So here's an example for a pocket prep question that one of my students saw. So it said, in a set of saying nutrient intake for a client, which of the following types of assessment methods produces both qualitative, right? So like, you know, that's like qualities you can't put that in a calculator and quantitative, those are numbers you can put in a calculator, data and is the best 
confused with a motivated and literate client. So options that I can see on the screenshot they sent me was 24 hour recall, food frequency questionnaire and food record. And this student put a 24 hour recall and was saying like, well, why would it be one over the other? And the key words here is it's saying, you know, we wanna collect qualitative and quantitative data, but it's saying best use for a motivated literate. So this is saying, what is gonna be the best to assess intake for someone who's like honest, they understand, they're like, oh, I have measuring cups, I'm gonna measure. That's the perfect person for a food record, right? So when you write it down, they're not going to get fatigued. They're going to write it down. Whereas the 24-hour recall is much better for that person who needs prompting. Did you put anything in the coffee? How many coffees did you have? What did you put on the waffle? So it's the wording there. But it's really great to make sure you're understanding kind of all the different, all the different types too. Next one, we have acid-base. And acid-base is a great example of a topic that you can study in multiple places. It truly lives um, in domain one, but it also is covering metabolism, biochem, which is also domain one, but also lungs, pulmonary, domain two, renal, domain two, labs, domain two. So there's lots of different places you should see it. So I always recommend, and you'll see this if you're in the signature course, it pops up again and again and again because you need to be able to recognize it in a variety of ways. And that's why doing a course with practice question classes is really, really helpful because you could be a gene admin expert, but then if you're not able to put it on the application, that's where your points are missing. So here's a question. This is from my renal class. So a patient with metabolic alkalosis would have what? So options A, excess excretion of base through the kidneys, B, retention of the base by the lungs, C, excretion of base by the lungs, D, retention of base by the kidneys. So with this right away, anytime I get asked the base, I like to kind of zoom in on the term and think about it. So metabolic. Anytime I'm thinking about metabolic acid-base disorders, I'm thinking kidney. With kidney, I'm thinking bicarb. I'm also thinking that bicarb and pH move in the same direction. So that's kind of my first zoom in. Okay. Metabolic, bicarb, kidneys. pH kidneys move in the same direction. Then I move to the next word, alkalosis. Alkalosis alkaline, high pH, lots of base. So those are the type of things I want to kind of do. And that's what I want you to do whenever you're going through acid base. It's just because kind of having all those in mind, then when we go through the options, it's going to be really clear, right? So I'm going to cross out both that are with the lungs. And then I'm going to look at, well, am I having excessive excretion of base by the kidneys or retention of base? Well, I said alkaline high pH, base, base pH follow each other. This is going to be D, retention, retention of, um, retention of the base for sure. Okay. Next one is less of a question, but more of a reminder. If you're on the Facebook page, you already saw this, um, but I am doing a little kind of end of year, start of 2024 survey 
for everyone who's on the newsletter, the Instagram, as well as you guys tuning in on the podcast, because I want to hear from you. The Facebook page and also the podcast are for you. So be sure I'll put the survey in the show notes for those of you guys listening on the podcast um, and also in the link below the video for those of you guys on the Facebook Live because I want to get some feedback from you. If you fill out the survey by the 10th of January 2024, you're going to be entered to win one of three free courses. So definitely do that. I appreciate all the feedback. Thank you guys in advance. Um, for filling it out, but it's super duper helpful for me to get all that information. Next one we have is from not one that got posted to the Facebook page, but from an email I got from a student who was saying that she was looking for study advice because she just started working full time, but is struggling to pass the RD exam and any advice. And this is something that, you know, it's so exciting, right? When you're RG exam, when you're RG exam eligible, and then all of a sudden, right, you have a job offer. It's like, yes, it's everything you ever want. But managing the studying with just acclimating to a new job can be a lot. And my advice for any of you guys who are settling into something new, and this doesn't need to be a new job, could be a new baby, you maybe you moved, maybe you just got married, but something new has happened is to kind of give yourself a week or two to kind of just focus on adjusting to the newness because it's very, very hard to give studying 100% and adjust to newness. And then kind of take an, a week sample of like, where do you have pockets to study? A study schedule is super duper important and definitely grab the free RD exam prep class on my website so you can kind of see how I like to block out the schedule. But see like, well, where can you find pockets? Because you have to be really realistic. And if you're noticing, you know, like let's say you're working, you know, three out of the five days, you're working 11 hours, you don't get home for a long time. If your brain's shot, studying after is not going to do a lot. It's going to be a lot better for you to kind of carve out the weekends. So if you're finding you're in kind of a new place, super stressed out with whatever is going on in your life, taking a pause to kind of get your ducks in a row, see where the pockets are setting are, make a schedule can really make a big difference. And that's when doing a program can be really, really helpful. Just because let me do the organization for you. Coming to group classes, one-on-one sessions can be really, really helpful just to make sure you're staying organized, but you want to give yourself that time to kind of get used, let the dust settle. Otherwise, if you're finding you're going to bed every day being like, what did I study? I'm so stressed. That is not a recipe for success on the exam. Thanks for tuning in for this week's practice question review. Don't forget that we are doing these live on my Facebook page, Registered Dietitian Exam Tutoring with Dana RD, every Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and I would love to have you join live. You can also head to my website, danajfnutrition.com, to find out about the latest classes as well as study tips and services. Thanks for tuning in.